This is the Locked On Reds podcast. I'm your host, your cheap seat crony, your bench jockey with a beer. My name is Jeff Carr, bringing you the Reds every day. How's it going, Reds fans, and welcome in to the Locked On Reds podcast on this Throwback Thursday. I'm your host, Jeff Carr. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to today's podcast. On the show today, we're going to be looking back at one of the best center fielders in the history of the Reds. I figured in the spirit of pulling for Nick Senzel to be the center fielder in 2019, it'd be a good time to take a look at this guy. Also going to take a look at some coaches and their roles as C. Trent Rosecrans had an article about coaching roles and how they would describe their own job descriptions and some other news and notes as well. Before we get to that, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. I know we've been having a little bit of an issue with Google Play. Um, I had shared an article on Twitter there. I do apologize about all that. Hopefully it gets cleared up. Um, according to reports, it looked like on Google Play's end everything was all right. So it may just be an issue of the app not updating or something of that nature. So make sure that if it doesn't work initially close out the app reopen it all that good stuff but anyway a lot of techno babble there make sure you also check us out like i said on social media at locked on reds and then also at jeff Carr with three f's and look us up on the website at lockedonreds.com so for today throwback thursday we're going to go way back to the first world series team in cincinnati franchise history we're talking about The era of 1919, when the Reds, you know, benefit is kind of a shady word when it comes to this, but they benefited from the Black Sox scandal and won the World Series in 1919. But one of the leaders of that team was the center fielder, Ed Roush. Now we're talking about a guy who was a lefty, both when it came to at the bat and when he was throwing, and he played for the Reds through the period between 1916 and 1926, and he played for the Giants for a few years and then came back in 1931 and retired as a Red that season. In a Reds uniform, he compiled 40 wins above replacement. There were a couple of years where he led the National League In batting average, that was 1917 and 1919. And then even in 1918, he led the National League in slugging and on-base plus slugging percentage. So he was a pretty decent hitter for that time. You go back in that era of baseball, there weren't a ton of home runs. In fact, when it comes to his career, the most he ever had in one season was eight. And that was actually twice, once as a Red in 1925 and then once as a Giant in 1929. But he had a lot of RBI. In fact, when it, come to, when it came to runs batted in, in 1919, the World Series year, he had 71. The year after that, he set a career high for RBI with 90. 
he only had four home runs that year. So it was it's interesting to see that disparity when it comes to homers and RBIs because you always think of nowadays as a homer a home run hitter being the kind of guy that also gets a lot of RBIs. But in this case, you know, I mean, that year in 1920, whenever he had 90 runs batted in, he only hit four home runs. So the difference there was pretty jarring to see. And Ed Roush himself, he's a Hall of Famer. He came over to the Reds in 1916 on a trade from the New York Giants. He was playing for the Giants and manager John McGraw, a very famous manager in the history of baseball. And he was traded along with Christy Mathewson and Bill McKechnie. So that was actually a huge trade in which the Reds got three future Hall of Famers. And he just took off once he came to Cincinnati. He got the National League batting title, like I mentioned, the year later in 1917 with a 341 average. When it came to his play style, he was known for a very hard-nosed style of play. Even for back then, whenever most of the baseball players were real blue-collar, hard-working type guys. In fact, he grew up on a farm in Indiana, and he was a very strong dude, as they recall. And in fact, he used a 48-ounce bat, one of the biggest that was ever used. One of the very unique things about Ed Roush was his hitting style, the way that he hit, because after the pitcher released the ball, he would move his feet. It would allow him to adjust his swing and hit the ball to different parts of the field. You know, he could reposition his body. He had the ability that after the pitcher released the ball, he knew how to move his feet so where he could place his swing at. And it was just crazy. You know, he he believed that hitters shouldn't hesitate to position themselves differently in the batter's box depending on the pitcher, and that's according to the Baseball Hall of Fame website, baseballhall.org. It's kind of funny to think about because whenever – I played baseball as a kid. I don't know if you had the chance to, but when you're a kid, you know, they tell you, you know, set your feet, get a good stance, make sure you've got – you're holding the bat right, all that good stuff – but, you know, they they definitely tell you to not move your feet after the ball, you know, after the pitcher releases the ball because they want you to be, you know, work on one plane. You know, you're just stepping forward. You're not stepping back. You're not stepping any sort of way except toward the ball. And in his, the way that he played the game, was such that, okay, I, you know, and he's a left-handed batter, so I can kind of relate to this. I myself was a left-handed batter. He was like, I'm going to poke the ball out to left field. So he would move his feet and angle himself. That way, whenever he would swing, he'd put it out in left field. And I just can't imagine how that worked out. The kind of reaction time that it takes even just a swing at a pitch, let alone get your feet into a position in which you would get enough power to hit. And it wasn't like he was simply a singles hitter. He was pretty good when it came to extra base hits. In fact, as a red, he had a total of 459 extra base hits and That's just remarkable for a dude who was able to reposition his entire body in the batter's box. So that he really 
set the standard as far as center fielders for Cincinnati are concerned. And really, I mean, there's a debate to be had. And, you know, I, I haven't looked at the numbers and compared and all that different stuff, but maybe another time. There's a debate to be had that he could be the best center fielder in the franchise history of the Reds. Now, I know, obviously, Ken Griffey Jr. is one of the best center fielders, period. But after he came over to the Reds, his time in center field was coming to an end. He moved to the corner outfield spots very shortly after becoming a Red. And with his injuries and all that stuff, I mean, in a Reds uniform, I don't think he had as much wins above replacement. In fact, in nine years as a Red, he had a total of 12.8 wins above replacement. Ed Roush played 12 years as a Red, and he had 40 wins above replacement. So if you're splitting hairs that way, probably Ed Roush is the best Red center fielder in franchise history. Probably a little bit more to look at there, but just looking at those numbers comparatively, that's what that says. And that's our Throwback Thursday for you there. I know I went a little bit long for this first half. we got to take a quick break. This is the Locked On Reds podcast on your Throwback Thursday. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Reds podcast on this Thursday. Thanks so much for downloading and listening. We are 21 days away. That's right, three weeks exactly from opening day. If you haven't got your tickets already, I implore you to go check out one of those awesome ticket apps for some good prices on tickets. I know I'll be watching them closely as a lot of them, you know, they go by demand and all that stuff. And some of them, the closer you get to the game, the cheaper that it is. So I don't think it'll be a ton cheaper. You're not going to get, you know, like $20 opening day tickets, but maybe you don't spend, you don't break the bank, you know, for an opening day ticket. But I'm definitely going to be down there myself. But as I teased in the first part, and you know, I, I try to put the ad break there in the middle of the podcast. We went a little bit long today. I tend to really get into our Throwback Thursday episodes. But as I teased in the first part, and it's actually something that I meant to get to yesterday, but I just didn't have time. There was an article in The Athletic that C. Trent Rosecrans got to do, and And he even mentioned that whenever he went over to The Athletic, they gave him the ability to do some articles that he didn't necessarily have the chance to do when he worked for the Enquirer. And this one, it's funny because it's a simple question and answer article, but it's so insightful. And that's the word that I'm going to use there. I I think it's very insightful. Is he, He went to each coach. You know, he started with David Bell. He talked to Derek Johnson, to Lee Tunnell. He talked to Turner Ward and all those guys. And just ask them, if you were to write your job description, what would you say? And different guys, you know, they, they had coach speak, and he was able to kind of pry a little bit more, get a little bit more out of them. Like, you know, Turner Ward at first tried his darndest to just give him a one-word answer and say, I'm a watchman. And, you know, he was able to get him to expound on that and stuff like that. Definitely check the article out. But the thing that I was most interested in whenever he said that he was going to talk to all the coaches and ask him these questions is Jeff Pickler. 
Because in the offseason, they announced that they hired Jeff Pickler. He's the outfield coach and game planning coach, which is such a vague title. I mean, you can kind of imagine in your mind's eye what that entails. But he had a quote from Jeff Pickler. He talked to him quite a bit. He had a couple of quotes in there in the article from Jeff Pickler. And I made sure I highlighted this one. Jeff Pickler said, quote, I think more than anything, it used to be that we'd go into a game back in the day and we'd say, if we make the pitches that we're supposed to make and play fundamentally sound, hopefully things will work out. That was game prep. He said, we're trying to take that to a higher level and how we're going to beat the starting pitcher and how we're going to make our 27 outs tonight. Where, where we are going to find our opportunities to come up one run ahead of the other team. So basically his entire job, and you know, when, when you talk about football and basketball, you've got designated coaches who just simply do advanced scouting on the opponents and create game plans about that and the coaches meet and they, you know, they devise their game plan that way. Basically, what Jeff Pickler is going to do is that. He's going to look at the upcoming pitchers. He's going to look at the upcoming teams, see what they like to do with shifts, and see what the pitcher's tendencies are and where his weaknesses lie and things like that. And they're going to be able to break it down. And the hitters are going to be mentally prepared to face the pitcher. Defenses are going to be mentally prepared for what's coming to them. I really think... And, I, and I've heard it before on a couple of different shows, but if nothing else, you know, we're all hoping for great results in 2019. But if nothing else, we can say definitively that the 2019 Cincinnati Reds are going to be the most prepared that they've probably ever been because they're focusing so hard on analytics, the advanced metrics, all of this stuff. And they've even got guys like Jeff Pickler, whose entire job description is just a look at the upcoming opponents and get them ready. I think this means great things for the Reds in 2019. I really, I I hope, I mean, obviously, you know, we're all fans here, especially, you know, if I'm doing a daily podcast about the Reds, I better love the Reds, and I do. So we're hoping that this translates into wins, but I really think it's going to because you've got guys like Jeff Pickler and Caleb Cotham and guys that are focused on preparing players using these advanced metrics and such. And then, you know, a couple of notes I saw that David Hernandez pitched a live batting practice yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. He reported no discomfort in his shoulder. He is yet to pitch in spring training, but they're going to evaluate him tomorrow, which, all right, so he pitched Wednesday. I'm recording Wednesday. They're going to reevaluate him on Thursday, and see how he's feeling. And if he's feeling okay, he could get into his first game action this weekend. So not only is Sonny Gray getting healthy, so is David Hernandez. The roster's really starting to take shape. And in light of that, I saw something that Mark Sheldon wrote for MLB.com. He kind of updated his prediction of what the 25-man roster is going to look like on opening day. Two things stood out to me. He included Nixon Zell. If Mark Sheldon is including Nixon Zell, Mark Sheldon is a guy that, while 
obviously he has his hopes for the way that the season goes too. He's also very logical and he examines the facts and he understands what the team is doing. He has his finger on the pulse of the team much better than I ever have. I think it's a very good sign that he included him in his prediction for the opening day roster. And then also he included Wandy Peralta, which kind of surprised me. I mean, you know, he's had a couple of good appearances this spring. Maybe management has seen what they wanted to see out of him because last year he really struggled with control, right? He was walking everybody. He hasn't had that problem in the spring so far. Maybe in the bullpens and the side sessions and the live BP that he throws during practice, he just looks like a different, more confident dude, which two years ago he was a very good left-handed reliever for them. And if they come out of the gate with five bench players and seven bullpen arms, the fact that you would have Zach Duke, Amir Garrett, and Wandy Peralta as three lefties in that seven-man bullpen, that's a really good way to break camp with three lefties in your bullpen. Not a whole lot of teams have those kind of options when it comes to the bullpen, but Anyway, just wanted to get to those couple of notes. I appreciate you listening to today's episode here on the Throwback Thursday podcast. Tomorrow, I've got a guest from the Blog Red Machine. That's right. We're going to have him on. We're going to be talking some Reds. We're going to be looking at spring training and taking our shots at who's going to be on the opening day roster. Make sure you're listening to that for our phone in Friday. I appreciate you listening to today's episode. Make sure as always that you remember you can use your smart device. Once you get into your car to access the locked on reds podcast, just say, Hey, smart device play podcast locked on reds. And there you go. That's how you do it. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Check us out on social media and look us up at LockedOnReds.com. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate you listening. This is your only daily source of a podcast for the Cincinnati Reds, brought to you by the Locked On Sports Podcast Network, your team, every day. My name is Jeff Carr, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.